You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. With your Bibles open to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, we'll begin our time in prayer. Philippians, chapter 2. Let's bow together. Our Father, our hearts are laid open and bare before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And we ask this morning that You would, through Your Word and in the power of Your Spirit, cut us to the heart and remove from us, like the surgeon that You are, every hint of pride and self-confidence and self-conceit, that You would remind us again of just how desperately in need of You we are and how dependent upon You we are for any good that comes to us and any good that comes through us that we might be humbled this morning before Your Word, as mysterious as it is and as beyond our ability to comprehend it in the flesh as it is. We do pray that Your Spirit would convince us of its truth and strike us again with the awe and wonder that must be ours when we stand before Your Word. Open our eyes to it, that we may behold in it wonderful things. We do ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For the last two weeks, we've been looking at Philippians chapter 2, and we've been answering the question... Who is involved in my sanctification? How does my progression in holiness and my growth in the Christian life come about? Who does the work? Is it me or is it the Lord who does it? And uh, we have been seeing since we started Philippians 2 verse 12 and looking now this morning at verse 13 that it's not one or the other. Hopefully you're starting to see that it is both. It is both my work, my effort, my energies, and it is also the work of God. And last week I... Spent the, we spent the time looking at the human element or the human part of the equation in verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You put forth the effort. You agonize over it. You discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You perfect fear in the holiness of God and perfect your holiness and cleanse yourself. And you do all of this. And some of you may have thought that I was kind of getting dangerously close to suggesting that your walk in holiness and your sanctification and your progression in the Christian life depended entirely on you. Some of you maybe thought I was sort of leaning or tilting a little bit toward the pietism side of things. And today I'm going to correct that and I'm going to tilt all the way back toward the quietism side of things. And then before we're done this morning, we're going to hopefully bring our pendulum right back up to the middle and try and get a a handle on both of these. That it is I who work out my salvation with fear and trembling And yet it is God who is at work in me, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Now concerning the human element of our sanctification, I want to just give to you a few verses that I I skipped over last week. I didn't include these, but just for the sake of emphasizing again that one side before we go over and and look at at God's role in this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 5. Listen to what Paul writes. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is the will of God, your sanctification. It is God's will that you be holy. So Paul says, therefore, you abstain from every form of sexual immorality and learn how to possess your own body in sanctification and in honor. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, Pursue peace with all men and sanctification, that is holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. You pursue holiness. That's your responsibility. You have to do that. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, from what Paul says there, whose job does it sound like it is? You cleanse yourself from all impurity and filthiness of the flesh, and you perfect holiness in the fear of God. That's your job. That's your responsibility. You discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness that rests on you. Now, today we're going to look at the divine side of it. That it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now, if you're the type of person who likes to sit here Sunday after Sunday and and take down notes, and, and maybe there's somebody here that enjoys doing this, or maybe a lot of people enjoy doing this, taking note of all the times that Jim seems to contradict himself, you're going to need a brand new pad of paper and a fresh pen this morning, because last week I told you it all depends on you, and this week I'm here to tell you none of it depends on you whatsoever. This is ultimately not your work. Last week I said it's your effort, you have to do it. You will not be made holy apart from your efforts. But I want you to know this morning, you're not going to be made holy by your efforts. There's absolutely nothing you can do that will make you holy. Because it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now listen, you don't have to choose between two of these. It's not as if the Apostle Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, or let God work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's not two options. It's not two paths to sanctification. You don't have to choose between these. And say, well, I've got A, my work, or B, let God do it. So I'm going to choose the one that best suits me. We don't choose between these two options. They are both. Just like we don't choose between the option of believing in the sovereignty of God or believing that man is morally responsible and makes real moral choices. We don't choose between those two things. They're both true. And it's the same thing here in this text. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the divine role in our sanctification. And then I'm going to try and sort of dive into the mystery a little bit and walk into the fog, as it were, and try and see how these two things really do in reality go together, and they're not contradictions. They're not mutually exclusive. So for those of you who enjoy taking notes, we basically have three sort of thoughts or points or words that we're going to hang our our attention on this morning. We see the Apostle Paul give us basically three things that help us to understand God's role in our sanctification. First, the divine indwelling. It is God at work in you. That's the divine indwelling. Second, the divine initiative. He does this to will and to work for His good pleasure. That is to say that God is the one who initiates both the willing and the working for His good pleasure. And the third is the divine intention, and that is that it's His good pleasure. That's what He is aiming at in this. So the divine indwelling, the divine initiative, and the divine intention in all of this. And that is to say that it is His good pleasure. So let's look first of all at the divine indwelling. Look what Paul says in verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you. For. That really means because or since. It is as if Paul is saying, you are to work out, you are to labor and put forth the effort in working out your salvation because, since, since it is God who is at work in you, you therefore can do this. Do you see the connection? Imagine how miserable your life would be if the Apostle Paul just simply said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, period. And then went on to the next command. Imagine how miserable your life would be. Imagine if every command of the New Testament Every moral qualification, every command, every stipulation, everything that was given 
was given to us and God says, you do it and I'm going to make you do it or have you do it and expect you to do it without any divine enablement or without any assistance on my behalf. How miserable would your life be? You know that's what the law did? It's exactly what the law did. Do this and this and this and don't do this. And we find ourselves under the law crushed by the expectations of the law. Saying, I can't do that. I can't change my heart. I can't conform to that. That standard of holiness is far too high. I can't do that on my own. And then God comes and says, okay, I'll write my law on your hearts and I'll give you my spirit, give you a heart of flesh. I'll come in, you'll be my people, I'll be my God, you'll dwell with me, and I will fulfill the righteous requirements of the law through you, through the power of the Spirit. But imagine if Paul had simply said, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, period. But it says, he said, because or since, it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He dwells in you, friends. Jesus Christ dwells in his people, not like a pea within a pod, as if you could cut me open and see him inside and uh, you know, a little glowing ball or something like that, but that in some very mystical yet very real and substantial way, he is eternally connected and has made himself one with me. So that within my spirit, within my soul, Jesus Christ in the person of his spirit is there. That he dwells within his people. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, it's not me who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's his power working in me. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Him. If you're sitting here this morning and you have never experienced the Spirit of God, you've never been born again, and the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in you, you don't belong to Christ. I don't care what church you belong to. I don't care what it is that you believe. I don't care what type of warm, mystical feelings you've had. If the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, you don't belong to Him. But Paul says, it is God who is at work in you. He dwells within His people, both corporately, us as a body, and individually in order to do this work. And the word work is the word energeo, from which we get our word energy. It means to work mightily, to work effectively, to do it, to purpose, to actually accomplish it. God is working. He is working in His present tense, indicating that it's something that is continually happening. It's not something that God starts and then stops. It's not something that God begins and then quits. It's not something that He does on Monday mornings from 9 to 10 or Sunday mornings from 10 to 11. It's not something that God does one day a week, three days a week. It's continually, persistently, when you wake up in the morning till the next time you wake up in the morning, God is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's always going on. He never stops that. And He never will stop that until you're face to face in His presence and you're made just like Him. And until that moment, from the time that you become a believer till the time you go to home to be with the Lord, He is at work in you. Indwelling you and working in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And he's constantly at work. There's a couple implications from this, and let me flesh these out for you. If it's God who is at work indwelling in me, then one of the first implications is that God always finishes that which He starts. Do you remember Philippians 1.6? I'm confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. If God has begun the work of salvation in your life by bringing you to faith in Jesus Christ, He will complete that work in you until the day of Christ Jesus. God does not begin a work and then drop it somewhere along the line. God does not begin a work and then get sidetracked, or distracted, or frustrated, or drop His designs and say, well, well I, I'm not going to finish that one. That's not how God works. That's an unworthy notion of God. People who believe that God, that pe people who believe that Christians can lose their salvation, give their salvation up, forfeit their salvation, must believe 
that hell is littered with God's unfinished projects. That is blasphemous in my opinion. Hell is not littered with God's unfinished projects. If He begins it, He finishes it. You guaranteed. Absolutely guaranteed. If He started it, He will finish it. He doesn't litter hell by saying, oh, I was frustrated there. Oh, He made a choice. Oh, He fell into sin. Oh, I couldn't complete that. I'd like to, but I can't. I lack the ability. That's not God. That is an unworthy notion of Him. He finishes that which He starts. Second of all, God doesn't try to do anything. He doesn't. God doesn't try anything. He doesn't give a sh- take a shot at it. He doesn't say, I'll give it my best. He doesn't say, I'll, I'll start this. See if I can get it done. God does not try to do anything. He does it. He works mightily. The word for work there is the same word that's used in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 that says God works all things after the counsel of His own will. To mightily work. It's the same word that's used of our spiritual gifts, that God mightily works through the distribution of the gifts in the body of Christ. It means to purpose to do something and then to accomplish it, and He does it. And God never starts something that He doesn't finish, and God never tries to do anything. He always does exactly what He intends to do. So hell is not littered with God's unfinished projects because He can't complete what He started and because He tried to do something but He failed it or He was frustrated by you. He won't be frustrated by you. He's going to make you holy. If you're a Christian, He's going to make you holy. Now you can either cooperate with Him and do it His way or you can try and frustrate Him and He will eventually take the goat and He will make you holy. That's part of fear and trembling, friends. That's why I read my Bible, pray every day. That's why I avoid sexual temptation. That's why I flee immorality. That's why I discipline myself for the purpose of godliness because I can either do that to myself or he can chastise me. And it's much easier to discipline myself than it is to be disciplined by the Lord. So I would rather contribute and co- cooperate with the means of grace by applying the means of grace and working out my own salvation than to have God say, okay, I'll make you holy. You can do it your way or you can do it my way. I'd rather do it his way. It's a lot easier. Much easier. That's how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Understand, he is going to make us holy. He is going to perfect us. He is going to discipline us. He is going to chastise us. He is going to cut those things out of our lives that do not please Him, and He is going to work in us that which does please Him. So cooperate with Him. Don't make it difficult on you. It's not going to be difficult for Him. He's not trying to do it. He's going to do it. So make it easy on you. Well, that's the divine indwelling. Second, I want you to notice the divine initiative. Look what Paul says. God is at work in you for two things, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God is at work in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. He dwells in you and He is at work in you doing what He intends to do. And now the question becomes, to what end? What is the end of that? What is God intending to do? What is it that He does? He works in me to do two things. He works in me to will and to work that which pleases Him. Now the willing and the working are not God's willing and working in this context. This is speaking of the Philippians and and thus us. God is at work in us so that we might will that which pleases Him and that we might do that which pleases Him. The willing and the working is what we do. That's referring to our action. And it's God who works in us so that we might will and that we might work. Now let's take each one of those separate. To will, fellow, is the word. It doesn't mean to wish. I'm willing that this would, I wish that this would happen. That's not, that's not the word will. The word will in this context doesn't have anything to do with sort of a passive acquiescence. It's saying, well, yeah, if it happens, I'm willing. I'll let it happen. That's not the idea behind willing. Fellow means a purposeful resolution, a resolve or a determination to do something or to want something or intend something. That is to will. 
If you ever in your life intend or resolve to honor God in doing something and you make up your mind and you desire to do it and you will to do it, Paul says that willing is a result of the work of God in you so that you might will to do what He wills you to do. He is at work in you so that you might will that which pleases Him. So if you read verse 12, which says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and then you say to yourself, I'm going to do that. I want to do that. I'm going to work out my salvation. I'm going to discipline myself. Jim, I understand that uh, that I have to contribute to this and I must cooperate with this and God expects me to do it. So I'm going to do it because I want holiness and I want purity and I want uh, righteousness in my life. And so I'm going to discipline myself for the purpose of godliness. I'm going to do that. I want to do that and I'm resolving to do that. I want you to know something. If you made that resolution, it is because God worked in you to will that. You, th- you thought that came from you? D- did you think that in preaching that I actually influenced you to make a decision like that? Did you think that I actually lit your heart on fire so that you might resolve to do something that pleases Him? It wasn't me. It's not you. He's at work in you that you would will that. And you know why that's necessary? Because in me dwells no good that's why that's necessary. There is, there is nothing that I have ever thought, done, willed, expected, wanted, that is pleasing in God's sight that has ever come deep from within the heart of Jim Osmond. Nothing. There's nothing pleasing in here, in God's sight. There's nothing in me that is good. In my flesh dwells no good thing. In Jim Osmond is nothing redeemable Nothing redeeming, nothing praiseworthy, nothing honorable, nothing good, nothing in any way pleasing in God's sight, nothing that he might look at and say, oh, that would commend Jim Osmond to me. There's nothing good in me. So if I will anything that is pleasing to him, it didn't come from within my heart. It didn't come from within your heart. And by the way, that's how you came to faith in Christ to begin with. How did you will to come to Christ? Oh, you say, my will was untouched by divine influence. It was redeemable, it was redeeming, it was pure, it was untouched, it was holy, it was good in every way. And I willed to do that which pleased the God. And God looked at me and said, you're so pleasurable and you will to please me. I have absolutely nothing to do with that whatsoever. Forget it, friends. If you will to do anything pleasing in His sight, it is because He is at work in you to will that. And that will didn't come from you. And any man who thinks there's anything pleasing in God's sight in himself that is of himself or by himself, he has absolutely no clue of the corruption of his own heart, the deceitfulness of his own sin, and the wickedness of his own nature. No clue whatsoever. Once you understand what you are and who you are because of your fall in Adam, you instantly say, if I will anything that pleases him, it is only because he was at work in me to will that. Because in me dwelleth no good thing. Not even the will to do that which pleases Him. And listen, if as a regenerate Christian, indwelt by the Spirit of God, born again by faith in Jesus Christ, if as a a Christian, I need Him at work in me to will that which pleases Him, how much more do I need Him at work in me as an unbeliever to will something that pleases Him? Because there's nothing in me that would please Him. No will, no intention, no no nothing. To will. And not only just to will, but also to work for His good pleasure. 
to work for his good pleasure. And there the, the Apostle Paul uses the term energeo again, the same word that he uses for God's work, but here he uses it of our work, that which we work mightily. You see, if it's God who is at work in you, then you are able to work that which pleases Him. That is, to do those things that please Him. So that in the end, every good act of service that you do, or that I do, is not something that I did or you did in and of your own strength from the beauty of your own pristine heart. It doesn't come from you. Not only does the will to please Him result from the work of Him in your heart, but the work that pleases Him is the result of His work in your heart. Who is the one who initiates it? It's not you. Who is it? God is the one who initiates that. He is the one who begins to work so that I will that which pleases Him. He is the one who works in me so that what I work pleases Him. He's the one who does it. I cannot in and of myself will anything that pleases Him. Nothing. I have the, I'm in, unable to do that. As particularly as an unbeliever. As an unbeliever, all I will is my own self-destruction and estrangement from God. All I want is distance. I want to be as far away from Him as I possibly can. I don't want righteousness. I don't want holiness. I don't want truth. I don't want the person of God. I don't want Christ, the Spirit, church, righteousness, holiness, nothing. I don't want any of it. Something has to happen to make me say, oh, I actually hunger for holiness. I need righteousness. I don't like my sin. I hate sin. Sin makes me sick. Where did that will come from? There's the answer right there in Philippians 2.13. It was God who was at work in you to will that which pleases Him and to work that which pleases Him. So that He is the effectual cause of it, the source of it, the origin of everything that pleases Him. There are other passages of Scripture that speak of God's divine initiative even in willing things. The psalmist in Psalm 119 understood this. Listen to what he writes. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. The psalmist says, incline my heart to your testimonies. Why? Because he knew his heart is not inclined to the Word of God. So he has to call out to God, God, make me to love your Word. I need you to make me to love your Word because there's nothing in me that loves it. So I'm dependent upon God even for the love that I have for Scripture or the love that I have for Him. And establish your Word to me, your servant, as that which produces reverence for you because that's not in me. The psalmist knew it takes a divine work of God in me to will and to work that which is pleasing in His sight. Isaiah 26.11, Isaiah says, Establish, or Lord, You will establish peace for us since You have also performed for us all our deeds. Who does the works? Hebrews 13.20 and 22, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip You in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. Who does the working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ? Who does it? Who does the work in us? Is it you? Absolutely not. You had nothing to do with it. You will it? It's not from you. You can't stand in heaven and say, oh, glory to me. I willed that which was good in His sight. Kudos. Doesn't work that way. Nor can you say, I did that which pleased Him. Everybody look at me. If anything good comes out of us, it is because God initiated it and He did it and He produced it through us. And anything bad, guess who gets the credit? I do. 
not for you. You get your own credit for your own bad. But if anything bad comes from me, guess who takes the blame for it? Who's responsible? I am. My flesh, my sinful nature, my wickedness, my inward corruption, my inability. It's all on me. It all rests on me. All the responsibility for that. Anything good, honorable, pleasing, holy, true, righteous, or benevolent, anything kind, anything in me that pleases God is His work, not mine. So I get credit for all of the bad things. He gets credit for all of the good things. Now I'm here to tell you that I'm absolutely content to leave it with that. And to let God have all the credit for the good and to take all of the responsibility for the blame. Because it all rests upon me. Not upon Him. Now, admittedly, this is where the mystery kind of comes into all of it, isn't it? Because now you're you're wondering, but I, I know that I will. And I know that I wanted this, and I know that I did it. I mean, after all, when I do something that's good and pleasing in His sight, I'm the one that needs to sleep. I'm the one that gets tired, not the Lord. But now, Jim, you're telling me that it's all the Lord that does it. How do these things go together? We'll look at that in just a second. But I want you to notice the third thing. We've looked at the divine indwelling. We've looked at the divine initiative. Now, third, I want you to notice the divine intention. It is to His good pleasure. God does this to His good pleasure, for His good pleasure. What is it that pleases God? When I repent of my sin and produce fruit according to repentance, in keeping with repentance, and when I confess my sin and and I lay myself low before Him, when I humble myself and serve others, when when I read the Word and pray, when I study Scripture, when I do acts of service, when I exercise my spiritual gift, all those things please the Lord. When I serve other people and love other people and fellowship and when I'm obedient to the Word of God, those are the things that please the Lord. Those are the things that it means, by the way, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's exactly what working out your salvation is, is simply to be obedient to what has been revealed in Scripture as a new creation in Christ. You do that. You put forward the effort to do that. But then in the end you find out it wasn't me who really put forward the effort to do that. It was God at work in me giving me the effort and giving me the will to do it. And so do the two come together? Do they mix? They absolutely mix. And God is in me and He is the one who's using the initiative and then His intention is that through all of this, I might bring pleasure to Him. What a joy that is, by the way, isn't it? That God would allow you and work in you so that you would please Him. Is there anything in you without Christ that pleases God? Anything at all? I'll give you a little while to think on it if you want to just kind of go through a catalog in your mind of all of your unsaved qualities. Is there anything in you at all that is pleasing to God apart from grace in Jesus Christ? You think you're cute? You think you're smart, wise, articulate, gifted? What do you have that you have not first received? Is there anything in you at all? You think God was in heaven and He said, I've created this race of people, and here's Adam, and I just like him so much. Look what he did. And his whole race, that just—I just, I, what an adorable group of people. That's not the way it is at all. Friends, you and I are now given the grace, the ability, the will, and the power so that we might offer to Him that which is pleasing to Him. And notice that the Apostle Paul says that he does not say that he is at work in us just to will and to work. Notice the direction. It's that which pleases Him. Not everything I will and not everything I do pleases God. You understand that? Not everything that you will and not everything that you do pleases God. Even as a believer, not everything you will and do pleases God. But those things which do please Him are not my work, they're His work. Those things which do not please Him, guess what? 
They're not His work, they're my work. If the Apostle Paul had simply said, God is at work in you, so that everything you will and everything you work is done from God, then he would have been blaming God for a lot of sin. Because God does not will and work in me to sin. He wills and works in me to do what's pleasing in His sight. Now how does all of this come together? Let's, let's sort of dive into the mystery a little bit. Having looked at the divine indwelling, the divine initiative, and the divine intention in all of this, let's step back for just a second and ask ourselves, how does all of this go together? How how do we flesh out this mystery, so to speak? Now, at the end of the day, you and I simply have to say, look, it's a mystery. But let me, let me keep you from making a couple of errors, even in embracing both of these things. We can sort of be dangerously close to a few errors in our thinking. And let me warn you of a couple of them. First of all, as you begin to flesh this out in your mind, some of you may be asking and quizzing yourself and maybe even following a line of thinking that says, okay, well, if I don't will to do that which pleases God, and if I don't work to do that which pleases God, then it can only be because God is not at work in me to will and to work that which pleasing in His sight. So if I'm not willing and working, and I'm not doing that to please Him, if I'm not working out my salvation with fear and trembling, it can only be because He hasn't worked in me to do it. Therefore, He is to blame for my not working out my salvation with fear and trembling, and not me. Everybody follow that, or should I go over it one more time? Everybody got that? You go there with that? It's the same type of question that was asked of Paul or that he threw out in Romans chapter 9 when he says it's God who elects. And then somebody says, well, how then does God find fault? If the determining factor is His, how does God find fault? And what does Paul say? Oh, good question, brilliant wise man. That's a good one for the sages to debate for the next 2,000 years. No, he didn't say that at all. Who are you, old man, to talk back to the potter and say, why have you made me like this? Paul basically says you keep your mouth shut. That's not even an appropriate question. That's not even an appropriate line of thinking. God is not to blame for your sin, and He is not to blame for your unwillingness to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He is not to blame for your laziness, your lackadaisicalness, and your inability and unwillingness to obey. He's not to blame for any of that. But I will tell you something, if you do obey, He gets all the glory and credit for it because He is the one who worked in you. You say, that's a mystery. I understand that it is. There's a lot of mysteries in the Christian life, and that's one of them. If anything good comes, He did it. He gets all the credit. If anything bad happens, it was on me. It's all my responsibility. I am to blame, and I bear that. And He is not the one to blame because I refuse to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. So if it's God, here's another question, if it's God who does the willing and the working through me, then what about my will? Right? What about my will? Does God violate my will in making me willing? Does He violate my will in making me willing? Does He trump on me? Let me ask you a question. Did you wake up this morning and say, man, I want to be holy, but I don't want to want to be holy. I desire to be righteous, but I don't want to desire to be righteous. I desire to be righteous against my will. I desire to be holy against my will. I want to be a Christian against my will. Anybody ever said that? Nobody's ever said that. Did you come to Christ unwillingly? No. You, quite willing. Quite willing, friends. I came quite willingly. Running, in fact. Fleeing to the Savior from the wrath to come. When I became a Christian, I was more than willing. Absolutely more than willing. So did God violate my will in making me willing? No. Did God violate my will in making me willing to will that which pleases Him? Since He's the one who works in me to produce the will to please Him, When I will to please Him, am I willing to please Him against my will? Or does He work through my will 
to will me to please him. That before all of you either fall off the edge of an intellectual cliff or fall asleep, one of the two, or both, let me read to you what John Eady writes on the subject of how these two things go together, the divine will and the human will. As I think this is, this is so beautifully stated. It's a little longer than something I might normally read to you on a Sunday morning, but it's worth your attention. John Eady writes this, quote, For in no instance can faith be forced. You hear that? In no instance can faith be forced. When you placed your faith in Christ, you were not forced to. Faith cannot be forced. Listen to what he says. The freest act of the human spirit is the surrender of itself under God's grace to God. That's profound. I mean, I I could preach a whole message just on that one statement. The freest act of your spirit is when you surrender yourself under the grace of God to God. That is the freest thing you have ever done. Before you did that, you were in bondage to sin, self, and Satan. The freest thing you have ever done is place your faith in Christ. The freest thing you ever do is will to please Him. The freest act you have ever done is the act to want to love and serve Him and work that which is pleasing in His sight. Everything else we do which is not pleasing, as much as it might be an expression of my will, is in bondage to my sin. The freest thing I have ever done are those things which please Him. And yet I find, mysteriously, beyond the fog, that He is the one at work in me to will and to work that which pleases Him. Okay, back to Edie. Because I got way sidetracked off that. In no sense can faith be forced, and the freest act of the human spirit is the surrender of itself under God's grace to Himself. Now listen. The rational nature is not violated, the mental mechanism is never shattered or dislocated, and the freedom, essential to responsibility, is not for a moment disturbed or suppressed. Though God work and work effectually in us to will, our will is not passively bent and broken, but it wills as God wills it. And though God work and work effectually in us to do, our doing is not a course of action to which we are helplessly driven. But we do because we have resolved so to do. And because both resolve and action are prompted and shaped by His power that worketh in us. Listen, here's the money, money statement. This carrying out of our salvation is a willing action, but the will and the acts, though both of man and by man as agents, are not in their origin from Him. The working out of my salvation is a willing act. And though I am the agent that wills it, and though I am the one that does it, those two things are not in their origin from inside me. That's grace. That's what grace is. You say, but I did it. I know you did it. But you didn't do it. You might say, I I didn't do it. I know you didn't do it, but you did do it, didn't you? Is it one or the other? Is it either or? This is phenomenal stuff, is it not? This just stretches my mind beyond the breaking point. How is it that I will to do that which pleases Him? It's because He wills that I would will to please Him. And I find myself willing to do that which He wills. Who's the agent in that? That is all the grace of God because in here, in me dwells no good thing. Nothing. Nothing to will and nothing to work and nothing that might please Him in any way. So He has to work in me so that I might will and so that I might do that which pleases Him. So is my will bo- broken? 
No. Is my will bent? No. Is it violated? No. Am I dragged, forced? No. Driven? No. None of that. I find myself quite willing to do everything. I'm quite willing to preach this morning. I'm quite willing to do this. Hopefully it pleases him. I'm quite willing to do it. And I'm not doing this against my will. I wouldn't do something against my will. I would just will myself to do it. Well, I'll find out that he actually willed me to will myself to do it. Because that was the will of God. Let's dive, dive in just a little bit deeper. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, before my salvation, so that I would walk in them. <laughs> okay, who prepared them? God prepared them. Who walks in them? I walk in them. He doesn't walk in them for me. He doesn't do the work for me. All my works, all my good deeds, all your works and all your good deeds, all your acts of service, everything you have ever done as a deed to please God in an act of service was prepared by Him beforehand for you to do. Now you have to walk in them. You have to pursue good deeds because this is good and pleasing in the sight of God. Yet He prepared them beforehand for you to walk in them. So He prepares them and you walk in them. So this last Monday night, well, for instance, this sermon. This sermon was prepared by God beforehand, before I was ever saved, so that I would do this today. This was ordained, this event, my preaching this morning, was ordained before the foundations of the world that I should deliver this sermon on this day. God knew it was going to happen. He ordained it to happen. Now, do you think that I woke up on Sunday morning and said, well, since God has already prepared a sermon for me to deliver on Sunday morning, I don't have to do any work in the preparation of this whatsoever. I'm just going to take the week off. I'm going to go golfing. I'm going to go to triple play. I'm going to hang out with my family, watch movies, eat bonbon, enjoy the Oprah. And then on Sunday morning, I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to say whatever comes to my mind. Now, there's, undoubtedly, there are pastors who that is their philosophy of, of preaching and teaching. I've met some of them and I've talked with some of them. But you know what? I woke up on sun, Monday morning and I said to myself, I'm ordained to preach next Sunday. Now, I better get busy. Because I've got an appointment with destiny and I better be ready to fulfill it. So guess what? I got up early on Monday morning. I got the text out. I exegeted the text. I read dozens of pages and dozens of commentaries. I took the time to study the grammar, to study the language, to learn the, the nuances of this text, to interpret it, to double check it. I studied the background. I did all of that work. I sat down with a piece of paper, several pieces of paper, and sketched out the outline. I came up with that catchy little divine initiative, divine indwelling, and divine intention outline. I didn't read that in a book. That didn't come down to me sent from heaven. I had to labor over that to find three things that start with the letter I. And then I put them down on a piece of paper and I put all of my thoughts and all of my quotes and all of the scripture references into that. And then I had to take my Bible out and I had to check every passage that I quoted this morning to make sure that I accurately am quoting it and I'm not taking it out of its context. And then I had to sit down and I typed out a 17-page manuscript to prepare that to preach this morning. And then I went over that on Friday afternoon and I went over that on Saturday morning and last night I stayed up for two hours and I went over that manuscript over and over. Then I got up this morning at 5 o'clock this morning and I poured over that manuscript over and over and over and over and over preparing to preach and teach this morning. And then I went upstairs, I got showered, I got dressed, I'm up here sweating and I'm going to go home this afternoon I'm going to fall down in my armchair and collapse from exhaustion. Now who does the work? Let me be the first one to tell you it's not I. But it is the grace of God within me. He energizes my heart to serve Him. And if anything out of all of that effort comes out and it pleases Him, it was His doing. It was not mine. And if there's any reward, if there's any glory, if there's any grace, it's all from Him. Now I'm the one that gets exhausted and I sleep well at night and the Lord doesn't sleep a wink any night of the week. I do that. 
You say, Jim, you sound like a schizophrenic lunatic to say something like that. That you do all of this, but it's not you, it's the grace of God within you. That's what Paul says. I worked harder than all the rest of the apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. We labor and we work according to His power which works in us. Now does the fact that I am preordained to preach a sermon mean that I don't have to put forward the effort to work at it? No, let me tell you something. On Monday morning, in about 15 minutes, I'm going to sit down here. Well, hopefully before then you're thinking. I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to say to myself, i got another one to do next week. And the fact that that is prepared for me beforehand does not make me slack in approaching that act of service, but it makes me approach it with all the more zeal because it is foreordained that I would do that. And so I approach it with that kind of zeal and that kind of passion and striving. And I'm going to work hard to make sure that I'm ready to do what God has called me to do and prepared for me to do when it comes time for me to do it. But I don't do it. God does it. So I don't have to do it. Well, yeah, you do have to do it. Listen, if I were to tell you that you are securing your salvation in Jesus Christ and that as a saint you're going to persevere and your security as a saint is absolutely certain because what God starts, He finishes. Does that all of a sudden make you say, well, then since it's preordained, I don't have to do anything. I can just sit back and coast. I can indulge in sin and fulfill the lust of my flesh. Is that what you say? No child of God who honestly has been saved would ever take grace as a license for sin. Instead, the child of God says, since I am secure, I will persevere to the end. Why? Because if God's doing the work, it cannot fail. It cannot fail. So all of our efforts actually produce something because He's doing the work. And if He's doing the work, it can't fail. And if it can't fail, then I can work all that much more hard. If I told you, look, if you start up a, a business tomorrow and it's in such and such an area, in such and such a location, and you do this, you are guaranteed to become wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. Would you say, oh, well, if that's guaranteed, then I'll just sleep in tomorrow. I'll sit home all day and eat my bonbons tomorrow. Would you do that? Or would you jump into that line of business and say, because it's guaranteed... I'm going to run after this with all my might. If a runner is predestined or guaranteed to win the race and he knows this race is mine, all i got to do is show up and run my hardest, and it's mine. It's guaranteed. If it's guaranteed, do you think he's going to miss race day? No. Friends, if it's guaranteed, you show up, and you show up and you work all that much harder. Why? I can't fail in the task that's set before me. So work out your own salvation. And do it with passion. And approach it with enthusiasm. Why? Because it's God who is at work in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. And in all your willing and working, you cannot possibly fail. Napoleon thought he was the child of destiny. Did that freeze his efforts and say, well, I'm destined to greatness. I don't have to do anything to get it. No. Napoleon believed he was the child of destiny. And because he believed in his heart that he was destined for greatness and that he could not fail, he approached it with all that much more vigor. And that's what we're called to do. Now, in the process of doing all of that, if anything good happens, who gets the glory? God does, because He willed and worked in me. He worked, He did the mighty work in me so that I would will to do it and so that I would actually work to do it. But if you don't do that, if you decide that you want to be slothful and lazy and indolent in your Christian life and not work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, if that's the path you want to take, guess who bears all of the responsibility for your for your lack of doing that. You do. Why? Because you are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, with passion and with zeal. But we do so knowing all the time it is not me who works. It's Him who is at work in me, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So we say with Paul in Colossians chapter 1, 
I labor and I strive according to His power which works within me. Not one or the other. It's both. I labor and I strive according to His power that works within me because in us dwells no good thing. Father, we are so grateful to You for Your grace and thank You for the grace that saves us and secures us and thank You for the grace that You give that also sanctifies us and makes us holy. We thank You that Your plan is to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ and that You have predestined that from ages past. There is nothing that will interfere with Your plan and purpose for us And because we have that confidence, we pray that you would give to us also the grace to passionately pursue you with that confidence that we cannot fail in working out our salvation with fear and trembling. There is nothing to which we would desire that pleases you that can fail because you will also give us the power to do it. Thank you for what we've learned in these last several weeks about how our efforts work alongside of your grace. And we thank you that it is your grace that initiates it and it is your grace that does it. Thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.